Welcome to the People Analytics and Future Work Podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, this is Al Adamson, founder and executive director of the Talent Strategy Institute. And I'm here today with a longtime friend and colleague, super excited that she's uh, joined me today, Sarah Wiener, and her colleague, Shame Combest of Gwent. You both there? Yes, we're here. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I'm super, super excited given Glint's prominence in the market. And Sarah, you've been chopping wood in this field for a long, long time. So if you don't mind, uh, introduce yourself and uh, share a little bit about your background and why you joined Glint. Sure, I would be happy to. Um, haven't thought about my career as chopping wood before, but yeah, definitely been chopping, <laughs> chopping a lot of wood. Um, been doing um, employee opinion survey research for 27 years, starting with IBM Internal and uh, worked for them for uh, 16 years. Then I went to Conexa and went external, working with different uh, industries and uh, sizes of companies and um, learned quite a bit, held different leadership positions in Conexa. Then we were acquired by IBM. So I was back in Big Blue as part of uh, what became uh, IBM Conexa and then IBM Talent Management. Um, And then just kept hearing about what Glint was doing in the marketplace, super young company, and was fascinated with uh, the things that they were doing with regard to analytics and specifically with predictive analytics uh, and came on board about a year and a half ago. So um, spent my whole career doing um, survey research and uh, really excited about what's happening in the whole area of artificial intelligence. Well, thanks, Sarah. And Shane, you were largely responsible for many of the innovations that Glint uh, was putting out in the market. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit about yourself and how you got into this field. Yeah, so uh, I've been in product management for a number of years now. I've been at Glint specifically for a little over three years. Uh, and what what draws me to product management in general is passion for design and empathy and, and building building really powerful tools or, or software that people love to use and makes their lives better. And the reason I came to Glint is uh, the mission. Uh, really, really drawn to this idea of making people happier and more successful at work. Uh, and that that drives with both my roles and responsibilities as a product manager and, and just really, really drawn to, to, to this space. And I, I just love the uh, what we do around uh, A, the area we focus on, but, but kind of how we bring people analytics into um, – everyday life for for managers uh, who maybe haven't had access to a platform like this before to gain new insights. Well, yeah, fantastic. And I couldn't agree more with the mission of Glant insofar as it is helping individuals be more effective and be happier at work and obviously helping leaders understand how people are thinking and feeling uh, to a greater extent so they can be you know more responsive so you know with that in mind you know Sarah if you can start us off you know the bridge between people measurement and analytics and how that affects behavior can you speak to that as uh, you know, with your nearly 30 years of experience and looking at employee survey data and other data that speaks to how people are thinking and feeling, you know, what's that connection look like here in 2018 and beyond? Sure, sure. Don't make me older than I am. Um, so, the, <laughs> you know, some of the 
work that we're doing now really started in the 1950s. I mean, artificial intelligence has had uh, fits and starts since then, and I've been learning more about it as um, we have been progressing in this area and in this industry. And the reason is because my feeling, and let me know if I don't directly answer your question, but my feeling is that everyone who's in human resources today needs to understand what analytics can bring to the table. They need to understand it because we, we have to use analytics and machines to help us uh, to learn. And it is all about learning, but we can't possibly analyze all the data there is to, to analyze today. There's just too much. Um, and so we're, we're fixing that problem with, with machine learning, but humans are absolutely essential to this. We have to provide context. We have to provide interpretation, and we have to be able to detect bias. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, biased algorithms, and, you know, the algorithm's not biased. <laughs> what's, what's biased is the data that gets fed into the algorithm, right? So humans have to be very, I think, knowledgeable about this area in order to use it well and to help their organizations to get great insights about their talent. Yeah, absolutely. And it does answer the question extremely well. And one of the things that I want to pick up on that you, that you highlighted is the fact that we in quote unquote people analytics have largely been complacent uh, using existing data sets like headcount and turnover and engagement, which is asked you know, once, maybe twice a year in some cases, uh, not at all or once every other year. And obviously that data gets old. So one of the things that you all have done is elevate the frequency and elevate the innovative nature of the data itself so it more accurately represents how people are thinking and feeling. So Shane, to you, does that accurately represent what you all are doing? Is my understanding correct? And and how do you go about doing that if so? Yeah, that, that's that's absolutely right. For companies change so quickly uh, from month to month, quarter to quarter, that that real-time feedback from your employee base is essential. And that's why the technology is so important for when, when you're measuring faster, you need to have faster time to action, which means those insights need to be readily available. So the technology is, is really key because, um, you know, we like to make it relatively transparent easy to use. Uh, and, that, and that's because people just want to move really, really fast with this, with this data. So, you know, the, the algorithms, they try to not be very heavy. We try to provide data insights. And then to, to Sarah's point, really let the human with more context around the business take it from there. Because what we've found is that every company, uh, every challenge is is different, which is why you know, being able to um, really harness and, and gain insights into the, the qualitative data is is so important because that's where generally a lot of the insights lie because uh, the the quantitative data will kind of allow you to measure things that you, you already wanted to measure uh, and, and, and are aware of. And there's a lot of amazing analytics we can do on that. But we're finding increasingly, particularly as you're, you know, pulsing quarterly or monthly, that it's the common data 
that has a lot of kind of the hidden gems that people want to take action on really quickly. Yeah, well, sorry, over to you, because I know you all have this uh, qualitative, uh, I don't know if you call it a tool, but this concept of uh, narrative intelligence that uh, is, is new to, uh, to Glanton, the marketplace in general. Can you just share what that looks like and its core value proposition? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it comes out of computational linguistics. Um, and uh, many people know it as natural language processing, and we've um, branded it as narrative intelligence because that's what it is. It's getting uh, intelligent understanding about the uh, comments that people are making. What's happened in the past, you know, if you look at any kind of Google word cloud, right, it's picking up words, that's for sure. But is it picking up the important words that we need to see? No, it's not. Uh, and the other thing that we want to pick up is sentiment. Uh, how do people feel about it? Are they positive? Are they negative? Are they are they ambivalent about it? Uh, and detecting sentiment is something that uh, that narrative uh, intelligence does as well. The other thing is picking up themes that um, were not necessarily asked about in the in the survey, uh, and that's what Shane's getting at, right? So the gems are when you can get insight about things that are really on people's minds that you didn't think to ask about. And I want to just back up for a minute because the annual survey is not nearly enough, as Shane was indicating, right? Organizations change too much. But the the software has always been really heavy. And the the, um, the process has always been very, very complex in order to even administer a survey, let alone get the reports ready and get them back out to the leaders. So that's when Glint got into the marketplace was to be able to really give real-time data. So the day survey closes, you know, you've got your, your final data and you're ready to go. Um, so that's really helpful. And the narrative intelligence is also ready to go and complements those data. The other thing we do is because people are going to be surveying more frequently, we recommend shorter pulses. Um, still to the whole organization, but shorter pulses, and let the let the comments complement uh, those shorter pulses to get at more information, but really keep things more net so that people aren't burdened, but the organization is getting real-time data. What other business metric do we, do we capture once a year? We don't, and we've been saying this for a long time, but again, the process was so onerous in the past that it it really wasn't realistic to do it more frequently. Now it is. Sure. And you know, with that uh, in mind, is it the case where, you know, we're now in this point where this notion of over-surveying is kind of passe because it's been, it's, it's a often voice concern of leaders and they don't really have a definition of it. Is over-surveying mean too long of a survey? Is it too frequent? And if, correct me if I'm wrong, Sara, is it the fact that organizations did not respond to the insights that were shared quickly and effectively enough? Or was it the fact that they were in fact being questioned uh, you know, too much? Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, great point. There, there are three reasons why response rates drop, right? Either um, the, the action is not taken or 
um, action was taken, but people don't um, actually communicate about those actions or they communicate about the actions, but they don't connect them back to the survey, right? So if those three things are done, here's what happens. People feel valued, people feel heard, people feel that their feedback is important, and actually, who better to make regular suggestions about what's not going well in an organization than the people who are on the front lines? And who better to fix them than the people who have decision-making power? So the more that we can keep that flow, it's a continuous loop, right? Uh, it's, it's an ongoing conversation so that um, it, it doesn't stop it's, it's and stop and start you're giving people the opportunity to tell you how things are going and how those actions that may have been implemented are working. And again, if you keep the, the, the instrument, uh, you know, I think Glint has a brilliant instrument. There, there are uh, other tools and platforms available. My recommendation to people is find one that works really well, that is really simple to implement, that people find is a really great experience. So the user experience is easy. The managers have a great user experience. And then it's not onerous. And make sure, as I said at the beginning, communicate, you know, take action, communicate about the actions and connect them back to the survey. Yeah, love it. And yeah, before I go over to you, Shane, I just wanted to make sure yeah, I and the audience understand something that's core, uh, not only to survey activities, but I believe to analysts in general, that if people feel that the data that they are generating, either passive data or overtly put forth via a survey, that if that data is effectively heard and appropriate action is taken, then their propensity to offer that data up more frequently and more accurately is going to go higher. So they're going to feel empowered and that's going to be an ongoing dialogue, an ongoing narrative, if you will, that's going to help the organization be, in effect, healthier. Um, did I summarize that you know, accurately in, yeah. in your view, Sarah? Absolutely. Perfectly. Yes, exactly. And you know, Shane, it, it begs the question, how does how is this done? Um, you know, NLP and uh, you know, uh, computational linguistics, you know, the, the constructs have been around you know, for a while, the ability to, to implement and, and make usable, uh, less so. <laughs> so you know, can you speak to just you know, quickly you know, how the presentation layer in particular gets consumed uh, by users of Glint? Yeah, I'll start a little bit with how we classify things, and and it's it's something that you you need a lot of data uh, to 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 be really really good at this and really really accurate because the fundamental thing that you have to realize is people will be very distrusting of AI. It it only takes a couple negative examples for people to dis, to distrust what we're doing. So the accuracy and the precision is the top focus of our machine learning research team. Uh, so that's kind of like the the underpinnings of, you know, everything we do is, is based in that in that research, making sure that when people look at it, nine times out of 10, they're like, the machine got it right. That's amazing. And the one time out of 10, they're like, okay, I could see kind of how how it maybe got that wrong. That, that's, that's critical to us because uh, we, we think that people um, in some cases may want to dismiss the feedback 
or to dismiss the AI, and we want to remove that that concern. But then when it comes to the presentation layer, you know, it's it's one thing to say, you know, this comment is negative or this comment is positive. Really what you want to see is you want to see that data in in aggregate. And it's not just, you know, this many people are talking about work-life balance. It's, you know, how many of them are talking about it positively, negatively. When they talk about work-life balance, what else are they talking about? Those, those context pieces presenting in the UI really gives you uh, the context necessary to, in aggregate, kind of understand what people are talking about. One of my favorite examples is recognition. When people are talking about recognition in the comments, they could be talking about the recognition they get from their manager, or they could be talking about the feedback that they get. They could be talking about recognition that happens at the company meeting. And being able to see how that differs from team to team, essentially, you know, being able to see kind of how people think about recognition, positively, negatively, what is it tied to? Those are things that in, in the UI, we're able to encode through things like um, a graph structure with color coding and uh, some uh, affinity of drawing these different topics and themes together so that they co-occur. And you can look at it quickly and say, oh, I see for recognition for the product management team, it's really, really closely tied to their manager. But recognition for the sales team, because their compensation incentive is really tied to the bonus topic. These are things that really allow you to distinguish how people are talking about things and then drill in further to understand you know, the, the verbatims of what, what people are saying about this specifically. And that ability to go from the 30,000 foot view of what are some of those overarching themes all the way down to reading a very specific statistically sampled comment that touches on some of the key words that underlie that topic is hugely beneficial because you can you know, zoom in, zoom out all you want and find different, different, different comments, different clusters of insights within the, within the platform. So what I'm hearing is that if I am a leader, I can understand what's going on uh, more accurately. I can understand it in a more timely way. Thus, mm -hmm. I can take more confidence-inspiring appropriate action based on that insight. Is that core to the value proposition I heard there? Y yes, that's right. And I would add one other thing. Uh, the visualizations we designed were to be incredibly simple to understand. And that's primarily for, for one reason that, that you touched on, which is that it's really important to reflect back to the employees that they've been heard. It's one thing for an executive to on their own, be able to look into the comments to find something they want to take action on and say, hey, I'm taking action on this thing. We find that, that it's incredibly powerful to open up the comments share the, the high-level aggregate graphs, not even sharing the raw comments. Now you can share at the aggregate data and say, here's what we've heard from you. And employees are going to look at that and they're going to say, my comment is reflected here in this data. They've heard me. They've taken it into account. I think that's incredibly powerful because when you're a leader who has a large amount of data, it's really hard to address every single comment. But this really allows you to reflect back to employees and say, you know, you, you've been heard. Yeah, super cool. And if I may, I, I want to step back just a, a little bit. And, you know, Sarah, in your 75 years of experience, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, uh, 
I wrote an article recently called People on Street 3.0. And one dotto was effectively employee research, which to your point has been going on for a long, long time. Two dotto was data aggregation and visualization, which has really evolved since the BI um, mm-hmm. days of the 90s and, and certainly has improved since then. And now we're in the state of 3.0 where we actually have analytically based products. And what I just heard you two describe is something that squarely sits in a analytically-based product where insights are, are generated uh, via machine. Obviously, there needs to be data that's inputted, but if a leader, a CHRO or head of talent or people analytics leader, people analytics leader is creating a vision and roadmap for their organization, uh, many just point uh, internally, okay, I have all this data, what do I do with it? But what I'm hearing you all are doing a glint is saying, hey, you know, what are you trying to do culturally? What are you trying to do uh, innovation-wise? And how do you want to improve? And let us help you do that via a product that we offer. So can you speak to, uh, Sara, how you advise heads of HR and others who are starting off on this people measurement and, and analytics journey? Would you uh, contend that they do all three of those? And if so, where, where should they start? I mean, what's your feeling on that? Yeah, great, great question. It, um, we start with the business needs. We start with what do they want to accomplish as a business? You know, what's their BHAG for 10 years down the road? Or what's their um, immediate concerns regarding achieving, you know, higher levels of customer satisfaction or increases in revenue by a certain percentage or higher quality on the output of their products? Whatever their measurement is, we like to really understand what they're driving toward as a business. And then when it comes to the CHRO, the question is, um, you know, if you were the CHRO, Al, I would say, what are your top three priorities for meeting those needs of the business that the CEO has stated? So you start there. Um, I believe that over the course of my very long career, (laughs) that (laughs) I really have um, probably in you know, in the work that I and my team and my colleagues have been doing over the years has affected a lot of people, a lot of people's lives. And so the survey is a is a way to get data about your people that um, goes into a lot of different areas, right? So you can collect analytics on a lot of things, and many organizations are establishing analytics departments. But I feel that the survey is kind of the the base. It's the foundation of your analytics. You can be monitoring turnover, but if you don't know what's causing it, then you're not going to get, just monitoring it isn't helpful. You can monitor how quickly you're getting um, recruits onboarded and productive. But if you don't know what the what the uh, barriers are or the obstacles are to them getting onboarded more quickly, then it doesn't do you any good, right? So metrics without context, metrics without actions associated with them that can make things better um, don't help you. So you can 
continue to monitor those things, but those are outcome variables, right? And those are important to monitor. What I think the survey can do is help you with the predictive aspect of that. How do we um, actually predict what combinations of results are going to indicate that you might have a turnover problem coming up? Um, And, you know, in our platform, we do have a turnover algorithm, for example, um, to help organizations determine where there might be risks, you know, what groups of people in the organization might be at high higher risk for turnover, for example. That's useful. Yeah, I absolutely agreed. And I certainly have my answer to this question, but I want to ask you pointedly, Sarah, would you view an employee survey as a non-negotiable nowadays? And if so, at what frequency, at a minimum, should that survey be um, implemented? Interesting. I never thought of it that way. Um, I I agree. I think it is non-negotiable. I think any organization that is um, operating without having feedback in a confidential way from their employees is operating in, you know, part, partly operating in the dark. And a lot of times it becomes a line item on the budget that they might cross out. And it's the last one I think that they should. In terms of frequency, it depends. We recommend more frequent. This is where, you know, the, the, the whole industry has been moving toward uh, what was known as continuous conversations. We like the term ongoing conversations because it, it you know, it doesn't mean they're happening, happening all the time every day, but they're ongoing, right? You're continuing the conversation. Um, a lot of our customers are doing it quarterly. Uh, some of our customers are doing it three times a year, some two, and some still one. So what I would say is let's meet the company where they are currently to meet their needs. I do think annual is just not quite enough anymore. And if this, if the process becomes easier, then there's really no reason not to gather the data and just see where you are and see if you need to tweak actions. Um, or if you're on the right track and you just keep doing what you already uh, committed to do from uh, that previous survey. Yeah, well, th- thank you for sharing, and yeah, I, c- I couldn't agree more. So, you know, as we start to wrap up here, Shane, I'm going to go back to you. I mean, what are some of your, you know, closing thoughts on you know, where this discipline is going as people analytics, and specifically around the ongoing conversations or or uh, you know, ongoing listening? Uh, you know, what's uh, in the future for for you and Glenn? Yeah. I- I think that this this feedback is incredibly valuable. Uh, I think similar to your kind of 1.0, 2.0, work, I I think about it, you know, a lot of this industry has been, I think, focused first and foremost on uh, traditionally, historically on enabling executives, HRs, top, top level leaders to have really effective insights and be able to take action. Uh, more and more software platforms are around, you know, ensuring that managers have the data at their fingertips so they can take action, even if they have only a handful of employees underneath them, uh, that they are, you know, supporting the needs of their employees. For, for me, I, I think 
what I see as the next big leap for uh, the analytics is actually, or, or for the action taking and, and, and the analytics is to reflect back to employees what they've, what they've told Glint and try to empower them to take action on their own. Uh, there, there's something hmm. uh, a little antithetical about this, this idea that you know, employees are at the effect of the organization or at the effect of their manager. And there, there are many things that maybe in aggregate don't bubble up as, as action items for a given manager, but maybe something that the employee can, uh, can affect directly. And that's going to require natural language processing, analytics to really understand what's going on with that employee's experience and reflect back to him what, what we've heard as a product. Uh, because, you know, at, at that point, we're worried about confidentiality. We can't have a, a human uh, involved necessarily. Uh, so we want to be able to reflect back to him. Here, here's what we've heard. Here's what we've heard you say. We, we'd, we'd like to help guide you into how you can uh, be empowered to take over your own engagement. So that, that to me is what I would really uh, like to see in this industry is the empowerment of the employees to own their, their own engagement. And, and if uh, I can just add on to that, that's not to then, um, you know, give a pass to mm-hmm. their manager or to senior leaders who are responsible for and influence a lot of the drivers of engagement. And it's not all the manager. That is absolutely a myth. A, a lot of the drivers of engagement are under the direct influence of the manager. Many are under the direct influence of senior leaders. So it's not to give a pass that still needs to happen, those actions that are going to be taken by the leadership in the organization. Um, but it's to, you know, as Shane was saying, to empower individuals on uh, what they can contribute. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's an and at the end of the day. And yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I have long contended that we as human beings want three basic things, and certainly we want others. But we want to be seen, we want to be heard, and we want to be empowered. And what I'm hearing is that your tool facilitates uh, those three dimensions uh, quite well. So very excited for that. Sorry, closing comments from you. Yeah, it's really interesting how um, this conversation circled back to all of those things, right? It's being seen, being heard, being empowered. And the ongoing conversation part is an important piece. I think people really need to recognize that this is not just about listening, um, because if you're just listening and you're not having that conversation, you're losing the power. So taking data to facilitate a conversation, that's where the, that's where the magic happens. The, the survey isn't the magic. The magic is in the conversation. The magic is in when people are doing things that are improving the workplace experience. We spend so much time at work. Let's make those experiences as great as we can. Well, you both are fantastic. I appreciate your energy, your insights, your ideas. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you at PSYOP and uh, future people on Lix and Future of Work event and uh, just around town. So thank you both for being here and contributing. Great. Thank you, Al. It's been lots of fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.